Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. That's American meat delivered right to your front door. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Okay, we've got so much to talk about today. I want to give you an update on this terrible story about the 10-year-old girl in Ohio. We were told she had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion after she was raped. There are quite a few updates on that story, so I am going to give you that. We'll see how much we can get into as well with the rest of what I want to discuss. Leah Thomas, Will Thomas, being nominated as Woman of the Year by UPenn for the NCAA Woman of the Year contest award that they host. And then we are also going to talk about this uh, this shooting that occurred in Minneapolis. I think you pronounce his name Tekel Sundberg. He was shot by the police. BLM is protesting over this, trying to raise money, but he was armed. And the woman that he shot at, the mother that he shot at, is speaking out. And she is really protesting BLM. And so we're going to talk about that and what that says about social justice. If we have time, we're going to talk about a couple more stories. It's going to kind of be rapid fire. We did this a couple weeks ago. You guys seem to really like that when we cover a variety of topics in one episode. For those of you who are new, we kind of typically focus on one story or one theme of stories and really kind of dig deep into them, looking at not just the political and the cultural implications, but also the theological implications. And today we're going to do something that's a little bit different from our norm, and that is just go through a series of stories. But first, before I get into that series of news stories that I want to discuss, there are two other things that have to do with me that I want to talk about. So first, if you have not seen the skit that went out yesterday where I am dressed as your favorite Native American Senator Elizabeth Warren going to a very scary and predatory pregnancy center exposing what's really going on there, then you need to watch that. That's on Twitter. It's on my Instagram. It's also on my YouTube channel. A lot of you really like when I do these kinds of skits, these kinds of satirical videos. I used to do them more in the past. I don't do them as much anymore, but I'll try to get more consistent with it. If you don't know the context of this, Senator Warren last week said to reporters that basically these pregnancy centers have to be shut down, not just in Massachusetts, but they need to be shut down across the country because they're doing really scary things. They're luring these pregnant people, she would say, in by making them think that they perform abortions, which that in itself isn't true. And then they are... I don't know, scaring them with ultrasounds and like other information about adoption and things like that. And she actually said that these pregnancy centers are terrorizing these women. Now, you guys know that I talk a lot about the wonders and the charity, the generosity, the dedication of pregnancy centers across the country. You have been extremely generous in giving your money to the pregnancy centers that I have supported that I've talked about here on the show as well as on my social media. You guys have donated thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and items, resources to women and children and families 
in need. And so I wanted to highlight through this video what these pregnancy centers look like, what they do, but also have kind of a humorous spin on it to mock the ridiculousness and really the wickedness of Senator Warren. So if you haven't seen that, I'll just play this little clip. This is where people with the capability to have a fetus somewhere in their body are getting free sonograms. Do you know what this is? Do you know what they see in there? Do you know that they are more likely to stay pregnant once they see that thing on the screen? So it's about three and a half minutes long. Watch it. Share it. It makes, you know, those dual points of showing how absurd she is, but also how wonderful and how Christ-centered and truly how loving and altruistic these pregnancy centers are. God bless them. If you have not looked up your local pregnancy center to donate your time or your money or maybe your gently used baby items too, or maybe your expertise, these centers are also looking for people to help run their parenting courses. If you're a nurse or a retired nurse, they could be looking for that kind of professional medical help. And or if you are, if you've got expert, if you're a stenographer, retired, there are so many opportunities for you. There are so many opportunities for you at your local pregnancy center. I promise that they will not turn away the kind of um, help that you offer. And it's very strange to me how much the so-called pro-choice side really hates these pregnancy centers. If you're really for choice, shouldn't you be for the choice of parenting too? Therefore, shouldn't you be supporting these centers that are making it easier to make that choice? I mean, these centers are actually educating women on the options. They're educating them on exactly what abortion is. They're educating them on gestation. They're allowing these women to hear a heartbeat, to look at the sonogram. Don't you think if you're truly pro-choice, you should be pro-informed choice? That's what these pregnancy centers are doing that Planned Parenthood is not. Not only does Planned Parenthood not offer any of the resources that these pregnancy centers do, but they also don't offer the information about adoption, about parenting. They're looking to make that money by dismembering children inside the womb. So once again, this is not some kind of nuanced topic where Christians should be debating whether or not you want to preserve life inside the womb and also serve and love the parents involved or be on the other side, which is not serve the mother at all and simply slaughter the unborn child. Uh, so for anyone who says you shouldn't be anti-abortion or you shouldn't be for pro-life laws unless you are doing more for women, unless you are showing up for them, unless you are taking care of them after birth, join us. Join us. These centers exist by the thousands all across the country. You are welcome at any point to get off the couch and actually help do the work that pro-lifers have been doing for decades now. All right, before we get into my next topic, my next story, let me tell you about my first sponsor for the day. This one is near and dear to my heart. It is Moms for, for Liberty. So actually, over the weekend, I was in Tampa for a very quick 24-hour trip to speak at this Moms for Liberty conference. They're an amazing organization, started with just two concerned moms last year. Now they have 200 chapters in 37 states, thousands and thousands of moms who have come together to be uh, informed and involved in their child's education, especially when it comes to public education. So they're not just going to these school board meetings. They're also running candidates for the school board. They are replacing these uh, progressive and sometimes these very 
dangerous and harmful uh, school board members with liberty-minded moms, and they're advocating for your child as well as for their children. It was an honor for me to be the keynote speaker over the weekend and just to rally moms and to encourage you that this fight is just beginning and anyone who stands in between us and our children, we will raise a respectful ruckus to move them out of the way. So thank you guys for all of you who are doing that. You need to look up Moms for Liberty. Go to momsforliberty.org slash Allie. Start a chapter in your area. Join the chapter in your area. This is how you come together and share the arrows and make a difference. These moms, I had the privilege of meeting them over the weekend. They are incredible. They are joyful warriors fighting for the survival of America, and they don't co-parent with the government. Go to momsforliberty.org slash Allie. One more thing I just wanted to touch on um, is this Media Matters piece that I I, I did a, a video, a, a YouTube live on this last week. I think it came out on Friday. And Justin Horowitz, who is, I guess, a writer for Media Matters, he tweeted that he spent hours watching the Relatable podcast and he found that I camouflage my fundamentalist Christian views and my anti-LGBTQ hate with an Instagrammable aesthetic. So for those of you who watch this on YouTube because of my Instagrammable aesthetic, did you know, according to Justin Horowitz, that you're actually just being hypnotized by our beautiful color palette and our very trendy set. That's how I convinced you to become a conservative because of what he called my glitzy aesthetic. So he says Stucky regularly spews hateful misinformation about LGBTQ people on her relatable podcast hosting anti-LGBTQ guests and pushing far-right talking points. And he said, I weaponized my Christian faith to attack non-traditional gender roles, often targeting and spreading misinformation about LGBTQ people and those that do not adhere to her prescribed fundamentalist lifestyle. So what he means by that is that I am a Christian. I believe things about marriage, about gender, about sex and sexuality that Christians have believed for thousands and thousands of years and really that the Jewish people believed before uh, the church was even founded over 2,000 years ago. And so, and really, most of the world has believed, regardless of their religious beliefs, about sex and gender and marriage. And so by talking about those things, by repeating the things that the Bible has talked about again or um, has stated for thousands of years, that is radical and that is fundamentalist. Now, let's talk for a second about this word fundamentalist because that's what he calls me about 5,700 times uh, in this article. That is a buzzword. The people that use it don't actually know what they're what that actually means. There actually is like a sect of professing Christianity that probably could be described as fundamentalism, like the women aren't allowed to wear pants and they typically aren't allowed to receive an education. They're like under their father's authority until they get married, even if that is like well into adulthood. And so there is a section of like very legalistic Christi- uh, Christians. I mean, they would call themselves Christians who... um uh, who have doctrines that I don't ascribe to and that look nothing like my life and is um, completely incongruent with not only my theology, but also how I 
live. And so really, this is just a way to say that if you adhere to Christianity, if you believe the basic doctrines of Christianity, then you are an unacceptable Christian. The only kind of Christian that Media Matters finds acceptable or that progressives find acceptable are the ones who believe everything that your progressive secular atheist does. If you have any distinguishing beliefs whatsoever, you are considered a fundamentalist. I remember there's this part in screw tape letters, and I don't remember the exact quote, so I'm paraphrasing because I remember from the last time I read it, that screw tape is trying to tell his um his nephew demon who is tempting this christian in the screw tape letters to convince the christian that normal christian virtue that normal christian theology is puritanism because no one wanted to be a puritan puritan was seen as kind of like a fuddy-duddy that you are an extremist that you're a radical and kind of convince his subject this Christian human that uh, following Jesus's teachings or following the Bible or pursuing Christian holiness, sanctification for the Christian is a form of radical extreme Puritanism. And really, he should just kind of be okay with the label of Christianity without actually trying to conform himself to Christ or uh, without actually trying to obey God's word. Well, that's the same thing that happens today, except not except fundamentalism or fundamentalist is the new label instead of Puritan. And so they're trying to convince people, in particular Christians, maybe wishy-washy Christians, that sure, you can be a Christian, you can say you're a Christian, you can believe in God. But if you act out that Christianity at all, if you believe anything the Bible says about these controversial issues, what the world says are controversial issues, then you're a fundamentalist, and that's just too far. So that's what he tries to do in this article. I'm very thankful, though. I had so many concerns conservatives who were sharing the arrows with me. Um, And so I'm just very thankful for all of the people who defended me and who just kind of ratioed this Justin Horowitz guy on Twitter. And I got a lot of encouragement and a lot of support. And it just kind of allowed me to double down. I'm, you know, I'm thankful that Media Matters is spending hours and hours watching the show and my Instagrammable aesthetic. I have hope that this guy who watched hours of Relatable, I mean, he had to have heard the gospel at some point. And so who knows how God is going to use that seed planted in his heart. I hope that God, that his kindness leads this guy to repentance and that, hey, the Media Matters uh, turns to Christ. Like, wouldn't that be a great about face? If you don't know, Media Matters is like this far left uh, propaganda outlet that basically just tries to harass and target the sponsors of conservative media because like all communists throughout history, like all totalitarians, they cannot allow dissent. So thank you guys so much for your support of this show, Um, Media Matters. Those of you who are watching this for hours hate watching this, but also those of you who love the show, I really appreciate it. Uh, All of you who listen and who watch, please leave a five-star review if you have not already. All right, let's get into the actual news news stories of the day that I want to talk about first. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our second sponsor for the day, and that is Patriot Mobile. 
So we want to put our money where our mouth is. We want to support companies that support the values that we believe in. And unfortunately, a lot of major corporations are not doing that. But you don't have to worry about that with Patriot Mobile because they are America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider. They have been on the front lines fighting for your values. They're different from every other provider out there. Inflation has made it really hard on many Americans, and Patriot Mobile understands that. That's why they have plans for almost any budget. They offer the same nationwide coverage as all the major carriers. They are not going to turn around and spend their money fighting against the causes that you are fighting for. They are fighting for the sanctity of life, religious freedom, the Second Amendment. So go to PatriotMobile.com or call 972-PATRIOT. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Allie. Use the offer code Allie to get free activation. PatriotMobile.com slash Allie. PatriotMobile.com slash Allie. All right, update on this terrible, terrible story of this girl in Ohio, 10 years old, who got pregnant and then she allegedly had to travel to Indiana where abortion law is more lax in order to obtain an abortion. I talked about this either last week or the week before that the media was running with this story saying this is the consequence of overturning Roe v. Wade. This is the consequence of the Dobbs decision. This is a consequence of what they would call draconian anti-abortion, anti-bodily autonomy law. This 10-year-old child had to travel across state lines in order to obtain an abortion. And conservatives were raising some red flags about this. They were saying, hang on, in these articles that are being run totally uncritically. There is no mention of the rapist. There's no mention of a criminal investigation. Hang on. The doctor in this case would have had to be by required by law to be a reporter of the sexual abuse. And we don't know of any criminal investigation. The Republican attorney general of Ohio, he went on air and he said there's not even a whisper of an investigation into this. We have no information about this. And then you had um, you had Republican Republican politicians saying that this isn't something that's true. And I raised the red flags that Megan Fox, a journalist, had originally raised on Twitter saying, hang on, why are we taking as fact this story that relies on a sole source, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, who is an abortionist in Indiana, who also happens to be an abortion activist and has been used as a source in other kinds of pro-abortion stories in liberal media, without asking some questions. And I still I, I still believe and I still agree with what conservatives were saying and what I said a couple weeks ago when this story originally came out, that this is sketchy reporting. This is irresponsible reporting. Then the president of the United States used this story to say, well, this is why the federal government basically has to try to allow um, abortionist to circumvent the state laws because look at this terrible story of this 10-year-old when we just didn't have the facts. Even the Washington Post, their fact checkers came out and said, hang on just a second. We don't have enough sources for this. We don't have any corroboration for this. Not only that, but all of the people were saying, oh, she had to get an abortion in order to save her life. Well, if that's true, the Ohio law, even though it outlaws abortion after six weeks, says there is an exception for not just the life of the mother, but also the health of the mother. So if it were the case that this pregnancy was threatening her health and it was threatening her life, she still would have been able to obtain a legal abortion in Ohio. The media was not reporting that. So I still agree with the conclusions that many conservatives were coming to, that this is irresponsible reporting, that this looks 
like a uh, convenient propaganda for the left that the timing is suspicious that it's just not good journalism however i will say that i should not have gone so far as to say that this is not true and i did tweet at one point i think most of my tweets about this and even what i said on my podcast was this probably isn't true or we don't know if this is true we still need more information but i did have at least one tweet where i said this is not true it's propaganda just like uh russia gate and just like the accusations of Kavanaugh being a gang rapist, just like the Covington Catholic kids and Jesse Smollett. I mean, we could go on and on about the conspiracy theories that the left and the legacy media on the left have pushed over the past few years. And I added this story to that list. However, it does seem now that the story is actually true. I jumped the gun there and I shouldn't have said that. And so I apologize for coming to a conclusion that I also should not have come to. Suspicious? Yes. Shoddy reporting? Yes. Completely untrue? Apparently not. Now, we still don't have all of the information, as you're about to hear me explain. But apparently... This is something that did happen. And I'm not sure. Let me say also, I'm not sure that we would have all of the information that we have now about her accused rapist if conservatives had not sounded the alarm about this on Twitter. It was conservatives. We were the ones who were saying, who raped her? Who did this? If a 10-year-old is pregnant, like there is probably some foul play here and someone probably needs to be in prison. It's very unlikely that like, her 12-year-old boyfriend impregnated impregnated her. So what really happened here? So now we do have more information. I do think thanks to conservatives trying to shine a light on this part of the story that was not originally reported. So let me give you a timeline of events from what we know from the reporting that we do have that has come to light over the past few days about what really happened. So apparently on May 12th, and I say apparently and allegedly, not because I don't believe it necessarily, but because this guy, this accused rapist, hasn't been convicted in a court of law. He hasn't gone through due process yet. So on May 12th, a man named Gerson Fuentes allegedly sexually assaults this 10-year-old girl on June 22nd, the girl's mother, who is reportedly dating Fuentes. So this is her boyfriend. And if it's true that he raped her daughter, unfortunately, that is a pretty... Um, That's a pretty regular, a pretty common occurrence that when a child is abused, it is typically by um, a stepfather, someone who is not biologically uh, related to the child, a man that the mother brings into the home. Unfortunately, that is a pretty common statistic. And so apparently the the mother's boyfriend... Uh, raped the daughter and the mother reports this and uh, reports the rape and the pregnancy to officials at Franklin County Children's Services who notify law enforcement and a police report with this date is generated. So it's kind of strange that there was a police report. There actually was reporting to law enforcement and the Republican attorney general said that there was no whisper of this. I guess he just didn't know that. And then on June 30th, uh, the girl travels to Indiana, has an abortion. And then July 1st, the Indianapolis Star story is published. July 6th, the girl identifies Fuentes as her rapist, according to the probable cause affidavit filed by Columbus Police. That's Columbus, Ohio. Columbus Police to obtain a warrant for Fuentes. July 12th, Fuentes is arrested 
and a cheek swab is taken to compare his DNA to the evidence gathered from the girl's abortion. Fuentes is taken to the Columbus police station because that DNA matched where he is interviewed and confesses to raping the girl at least twice. I mean, this is just, it is so anger-inducing. A child, a child. This is a monster. On Wednesday, July 13th, the 27-year-old Gerson Fuentes was arraigned and was released on a $2 million bond. Progressive judges, man, with an order to stay away from the alleged victim and her family. He is scheduled back in court on July 22nd. He is also apparently um, an illegal immigrant from South America. And so he shouldn't have been here in the first place. I mean, it's always just doubly sad when an illegal immigrant commits a crime like this because it could have been prevented by common sense immigration law, which is something that we don't have in this country. Like, see, this is the flip side of so-called empathetic immigration law where you just say, oh, undocumented people, they should just be allowed to stay here. They came here for a better life. And I'm not saying that most or all illegal immigrants are going to commit those crimes, but some are. And those crimes could have been prevented by them not being here in the first place. We can't necessarily always preempt the crimes that are going to be committed by citizens of the United States, but we absolutely can preempt the crimes that are committed by people who are here illegally by deporting them and by not allowing them here, maybe by securing our border a little bit more, which the Biden administration and very many previous other administrations as well have failed to do. So as I said, Ohio does have an exception in their law for not just the life of the mother, but the physical health of the mother. Now, the question is, did she qualify? Did she qualify for that? Um, uh, Could she have gotten a legal abortion with this exception? In Ohio, here is what an article from the February 2021 issue of the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology says. The the article is titled Teen Pregnancy and Risk for Adverse Pregnancy Outcomes. Pregnant teenage girls were at a significantly higher risk of preterm delivery, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, postpartum hemorrhage, and severe maternal morbidity. Therefore, she probably would have been able to obtain a legal abortion in Ohio, because again, not just the life is an exception, but also the health. And there's a lot of latitude there that can be very liberally interpreted. In fact, it has been liberty, uh, liberally interpreted in many states for a very long time by doctors who perform abortions. And so it is unclear why they traveled across state lines to Indiana to obtain this abortion when it probably could have happened legally in Ohio. Now, it is not sure that she would have died from this pregnancy. We are talking about a child, a very young child, 10 years old in my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a baby. I just, my heart breaks so much for her that one, she was raped, um, that this was allowed to happen to her. And then that she went through the trauma of having, um, of having an abortion. And so my heart just breaks for her. But this is not, it's not necessarily clear that she would have died from Um, carrying the child. There is a history, unfortunately, very sadly, of young women who have already gone through puberty being able to carry a child to term and to have that child. So maybe that is what their excuse would be, that the doctor didn't think necessarily that this pregnancy would have harmed her health or her life. And so he didn't believe that the exception would come into play. And so they felt like they had to travel 
um, to Indiana. But again, this piece was not covered by the media that actually there probably would have been a carve out for her. Actually, she probably would have been able to obtain a legal abortion in Ohio. That wasn't talked about at all because the point of the reporting of this story was simply for the media, for the left, to use this little girl and her trauma as a mascot to say, see, abortion should be legal. But it really is a manipulation tactic. It's an emotional extortion tactic because the people who are using this as an example for, hey, this is why we need legal abortion. If you said to them, okay, fine, let us allow abortion in these cases when a 10-year-old is raped, but let us make it illegal for let's make elective abortion illegal. They would say no. The people who are using this extreme example, which is something that the left always does, they're using it just to try to drive a wedge into your pro-life philosophy, uh, to try to poke a hole in it rather, so that you'll say, oh, okay, well, maybe there should be some exceptions. Like maybe maybe babies inside the womb aren't made in the image of God in that case. Maybe like we should put the child on the line for uh, the crime that was committed by the father. They want you to try to make those exceptions so that you'll just say, okay, fine, abortion should be legal. They're not actually interested in those extreme cases and limiting abortion to those extreme cases at all. It's just a rhetorical um, tactic. It's also interesting that this side who says, oh, yes, see, abortion is uh, so needed. The same people who are saying that the child in this case should have the death penalty, would never say that this child rapist should have the death penalty. And so the side that believes that they have a monopoly on compassion, they actually believe justice in this case is giving the child the death penalty, but not the child rapist. So call me crazy. I think it should be the other way around, that this child rapist should 100% get the death penalty as soon as he goes through due process. We already know that his DNA matched. I think that he should be executed. Absolutely. That would be justice in this case. I mean, if you want to look at biblical justice, there is biblical precedent for the um, for the idea of convicted rapists getting the death penalty. We're talking about someone who raped a 10-year-old child. So I'm sorry, but you don't get to say that you are the compassionate side. You are the nuanced side. You are the side that really cares if you are calling for the death penalty of a child who had nothing to do with her conception, but not the death penalty of this grown man, this almost 30-year-old man who raped this child. Come on now. Come on. This is obviously a very extreme, but a very sad circumstance. And we should have all the compassion in the world for everyone who's involved now. I, I also probably think that her mother should bear some responsibility here. She should at least be questioned. Hey, did you know that this was going on? Did you know that your boyfriend was raping your child? Like, I, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to wonder about the mother's involvement in this. There's a lot to wonder about the doctor's involvement. How long had the do- did the doctor know that this was going on? Did Caitlin Bernard... The doctor in Indiana who performed the abortion, did she know what was going on? And when she spoke to these media outlets because she ran to the media with this, did she say, hey, this child is being raped? Will you please shine a light on this? There's a lot of questions about why the adults in this child's life were not protecting her and were not more concerned um, with her well-being. Also, now the mother is saying that it was a lie that none of this is true. She talked to Telemundo. Telemundo came to her apartment and the mother of this child who was raped is saying, oh no, none of it's true. 
So there are still so many questions. There is just a lot of sketchiness when um, it comes to this story. And I think it's being used in a way that is not actually drawing us to compassion or to understanding for all of the innocent lives that are involved, but is actually just kind of being used as a mallet to try to um, hurt our enemies and make a political point. And so as more comes out about this, I will try to give you um, more details of it. I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad that it is being talked about because I think that there's a greater chance of this um, of this man being held accountable the more we kind of shine a light on what's happening. Um, hopefully, I mean, he won't get the death penalty, but um, hopefully he will be punished to the fullest extent of the law. All right, moving on to our next story. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Cozy Earth. I have not read, I haven't read the uh, this sponsor in a long time, and I love this sponsor because they make amazing products. They make this awesome bedding that is so soft, luxurious, and temperature regulating. It is I I know every time I've got my cozy earth sheets on my bed, I'm like, oh, we've got the cozy earth sheets because they are so cool and they are so soft and you can just tell a difference even between cozy earth and other other luxury uh, bedding brand. I mean, this really just surpasses them all. Uh, they are made from 100% viscous from bamboo. They are now available in four natural colors, and they are also temperature-regulating, breathable, so you'll sleep cool and comfy all year round. For a limited time, save 35% on Cozy Earth bedding. Be sure to check out their Ultra Soft Loungewear too, which I love. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie to save 35% now, all backed by a 100-night sleep guarantee. It's CozyEarth.com slash Allie for 35% off. CozyEarth.com Okay, let's talk about the shooting that happened in Minneapolis, the Tekel Sundberg shooting. So I'll give you a little bit of a timeline of what happened here. On the night of July 13th, Minneapolis police were called to an apartment building after a woman called 911 reporting that someone was firing gunshots into her unit. Police evacuated the building and engaged in a six-hour standoff with suspect uh, with suspect Tekel Sunberg before fatally shooting him. Sunberg's sister has stated that her brother was having a mental health crisis at the time the shooting took place. Sunberg's family is requesting that the police immediately release body camera footage to them. There was a GoFundMe set up for Sunberg's funeral expenses. It's raised almost $20,000. That's as of yesterday. Now, mind you, that GoFundMe says that they have a policy that they don't allow for the raising of money for criminals, for things like this. The You probably heard about the story of this bodega um, owner in New York that he defended himself and he defended his store against an armed criminal by stabbing him. <laughs> that bodega owner was sent to Rikers because of the progressive DA in the area. People sounded an alarm about it. Conservatives sounded an alarm about it on Twitter. Thankfully, he was released uh, from Rikers, at least for now. But I mean, he was in trouble with the law. He was incarcerated because he defended himself. People tried to raise a GoFundMe or start a GoFundMe for him to raise money for his attorney's fees. And things like that and the loss of business that he has probably suffered and GoFundMe took it down. 
But GoFundMe is allowing tens of thousands, uh, tens of thousands of dollars to be raised for this armed criminal. Arabella Foss Yarbrough and her two sons were trapped in their apartment on the night of the 13th. Um, that's when Schoenberg was shooting into it. She is the one who called 911. Now, thankfully, Yarbrough also has a GoFundMe that has raised almost $30,000 at this point. But a couple days ago, before this story was really known, she had only a fraction of the of the money that Sundberg, the shooter, had uh, in for his GoFundMe. And so... BLM is obviously protesting. They're protesting the Minneapolis police. They're saying that he was an innocent man, that he shouldn't have been shot. Ben Crump, who is an attorney, who is just a clout chaser, he is always chasing these kinds of stories to try to make money off of them. He makes money just like many BLM activists off of the dead bodies of black people. That's the truth. And so he tweeted this. This is Tekel Sundberg with a picture of him. Minneapolis Police Department killed this smart, loving, and artistic 20-year-old after an hours-long standoff while he was experiencing a mental health crisis. We need answers from MPD as to why Tekel's mental health crisis became a death sentence. Maybe because he was trying to murder people. Maybe because he was trying to shoot people. Maybe because, unfortunately, that kind of fatal justice is necessary to save the lives of the innocent people who he was victimizing. Um, BLM was protesting. And then the woman who was shot at, who was trying to protect her children during this shootout, then confronts these BLM activists and these protesters. And here's a little bit of what that looked like. These left-wing activists, I'm sorry, that that video made me so angry. These people are the scum of the earth. Pedro Gonzalez often says that these liberals are the worst people anywhere. They're the worst. Anywhere you go, these kinds of people, these kinds of activists are the worst people that you are going to meet. I said on Twitter that caring more about criminals than victims is a feature, not a bug of social justice. I mean, criminal justice, social justice, all the kinds of left-wing reforms that they are talking about are always focused on the criminal. They're always focused on the people perpetuating the violence. They are never focused on the victims. So this woman is like, look, he was trying to kill me. And she says, he was trying to kill my black kids too. Why don't you care about my black kids? Why don't you care about the black victims? Why do you only care about the black man who was committing the crime? And all those people are saying, shut up. They're saying, you're alive. This like white boomer. And I only say that I don't care about race. It's just funny how these like white saviors think that they are going to insulate them from like cancellation and they're not going to 
be victims of this cultural revolution if they go out there and protest for things that they don't even understand. And he's like trying to calm her down. And then you see this Black Lives Matter activist saying this is not the time or the place. You don't need to be here trying to tell her to stop. There's people telling her to basically stop. She literally had a near-death experience where she is covering her children's body so that she can protect them from bullets. And these Black Lives Matter activists are telling her to shut up, to sit down, and to go home because they don't care about Black victims. Black Lives Matter has never cared about the Black victims of Black violence. That is the truth. They care about certain black lives. They care about certain black lives that are killed in a particular way that helps them advance their agenda, change policy so that uh, policing is more lax, so that they can raise more money, gain more power, buy more mansions. This is about political power for Black Lives Matter. This is not about black lives. If Black Lives Matter actually cared about black lives, then they would be incensed and outraged and talking more about the thousands and thousands of black lives that are taken by other black lives every year. But they don't talk about that. They say, oh, it's racist to talk about the fact that a highly disproportionate percentage of violence in this country is perpetrated by black men is perpetrated by black Americans. They say, oh, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about the fact that 40% of homicides are committed by about 8% of the population. You can't talk about the violence that's being perpetrated in the black communities. You can't talk about the 70% fatherlessness rate in the black communities because that's racist. Not even acknowledging the fact that the victims of those statistics are also black. So it's actually, if you want to say it's racist, it is actually... Uh, hatred of a particular kind of race to not talk about that. The victims, not just the perpetrators of that wildly disproportionate violence and homicide rate in these communities are also black. Black Lives Matter don't care about that. They don't care about that. What they care about is power. What they care about is politics. So this poor woman, this desperate woman who tried to protect her children, who she says, says are black, The reason that she is being met with callousness, the reason that she is being met um, with such coldness from these activists is that they don't care about these victims and they never have. That is a feature, not a bug of social justice. That is what social justice is. It is caring for the group that they deem arbitrarily oppressed, not caring for the people who are actually oppressed. And I think about this with Christians, too. People who buy into this idea of like white oppressors and black oppressed, therefore any kind of negative interaction that happens between a white person and a black person is a form of oppression. But anything that happens between a negative interaction between a black person and a black person or a black person and a brown person or a black person against a white person, that's not a situation of oppression or discrimination or racism. It's such a convoluted definition of what uh, oppression is I always I always think about Christians like do you really think in the scenario where a black person kills another black person or a black person kills a white person or a black person kills an Asian person or a Hispanic person kills a white person do you really think in that scenario that God believes that the victim of that violence that is perpetrated by what a critical race theorist would call an oppressed person do you really believe that the victim of that is the oppressor because of their skin color do you really think that's how God sees it Do you think that when someone who has a certain melanin count commits murder that God lets them off the hook or that he's any less angry or that he's any less sad about that murder was that was committed 
because, oh, well, according to some academics, that person is on the side of the oppressed. Like, is that really how you think justice works out? It's not. We know that according to God's law giving to ancient Israel, that one of the characteristics that God cares most about when it comes to the doling out of justice is impartiality, that you shall not defer to the poor or to the great, that you're not to show favoritism to someone because he has power, because he has status, because he has wealth, but you're also not to show favoritism to someone because they're poor, because they're weak, because of what we might say, um, because they're historically marginalized or whatever kind of buzzword you want to use. And so BLM, social justice advocates, purposely subvert the real impartial definition of justice by insisting that we view people through this lens of oppressed versus oppressor. That's the reason why they care about this, because in this case, the police are always a force or an arm of um, the oppressive system. And the people who are on the other end of that are always going to be seen as the oppressed, especially if they are black or brown. It doesn't matter if he had a gun. It doesn't matter if he was shooting at other black kids. That is the dynamic that they look at. And that is injustice. That is also why everywhere where BLM supported policies have been put into place when it comes to policing. That's why everywhere that these criminal justice policies um, with light sentencing and basically catch and release of criminals everywhere that those policies have been implemented, murder and violence have soared. That's why you're hearing even the liberal CEO of Starbucks saying, look, we've got to shut down our stores in all of these Democrat run cities because they've abdicated their responsibility to protect our cities. And yet when the police in very liberal Minneapolis say, OK, this is an instance where we've got to kill someone or else there's going to be mass murder, they are indicted by left wing activists. It's insane. That is also why no sane compassionate person, but especially no Christian, should be supporting the agenda of these racial, social, criminal, justice, left-wing activists. I'm not saying that our criminal justice system, if that's what you want to call it, our justice system, doesn't need reforms. Um, I believe that it does in some cases, and I think that everyone should be afforded constitutional protections of due process. And so I'm not saying that there are no reforms that should be talked about, but so often what you are looking at um, are groups that really just care about those who are perpetuating violence and not the innocent victims of the violence. So that's what happened here. Just in case you heard the misinformation, this is another story of racist police officers killing an unarmed black man. There's always a flip side. There's a flip side of social justice. Read Thomas Sowell's Quest for Cosmic Justice, and you'll hear more about that, and you'll learn what's really behind all of that. All right. Uh, Last little story for the day. I just want to mention it. We'll probably talk more about it. Um, the rest of the week. But let me pause. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day. That is Annie's Kick Clubs. All right. If it is like it is where I am, it's like a million bajillion degrees. And maybe your kids just can't spend very much time outside because of that. So you need to bring them indoors, but you don't want to just put them in front of a screen. You want them to spend their time in a constructive and productive way. And that is why you need to check out Annie's 
kit clubs. This is a craft club. It's a subscription service. They send different crafts to your front door every month with all the supplies, all the instructions your kids need to make something awesome. So they have craft kits that include woodworking kits, STEM projects. They've got jewelry making for your daughters, all kinds of really awesome hands-on projects. They make it really easy to keep your kids engaged and constructive even when school is out. They've got a creative woman's club too. And so if you like crafting, you can also subscribe for yourself. All subscriptions are month to month. You can cancel very easily at any time. Check it out. AnnieskitClubs.com slash Allie. Awesome discount. 75 your 75% off your first month with that link. That's annieskateclubs.com slash Allie, annieskateclubs.com slash Allie. All right, so UPenn has nominated Leah Thomas, formerly Will Thomas, Woman of the Year. I mean, the audacity, <laughs> the audacity of our current dystopia, of all of the swimmers, of all of the actual female swimmers, at the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn decided that they were going to pick a man. They were going to say, oh, a man should be woman of the year. Now, he has not won this award. Um, NCAA has to, you know, decide who is going to win. Different colleges get to nominate. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. And you kind of just have to laugh to keep yourself from crying, right? Now, I'm really sad for society. I'm really sad for what this means for the future of women and girls in sports. I am worried about privacy and safety for women and girls when it comes to this absolute lunacy that we have now normalized and glorified. I worry about children who are indoctrinated with this kind of stuff and then sucked into this pipeline that includes genital mutilation. I'm worried about these chickens coming home to roost, that we are glorifying this kind of mental illness and the vulnerability um, that we are placing on girls and women. But I do believe, I do believe, and maybe I'm being a little optimistic here, but I do believe that the harder they push this stuff, the more absurd that it gets that a man it might win woman of the year. I mean, that already happened, I think, with Rachel Levine, I think that's the name that she goes by, who is the assistant health and human services secretary. I think she won like one or he won woman of the year by um, Time magazine or USA Today or something like that. And I just think that the more this is pushed, the more absurd this is get this gets, the more likely it is that the pendulum swings back really hard. And I know some people are like, oh, I don't believe in the pendulum swings back theory. And look, the pendulum is not going to swing itself. We're going to have to push it. We're going to have to pull that pendulum back over by refusing to kowtow at all to this gender madness by raising a respectful ruckus in our schools, in our churches, in our communities to make sure the rights and the safety and the definition of girls and women are protected. That is going to mean athletes putting their scholarships and putting their reputations on the line for the sake of reality. And I understand that is much easier said than done. I understand that. And I really think it should mean politicians, Republican politicians, being willing to stand up and say, absolutely not. Yeah, we're going to engage in the culture wars because, I mean, the protection and the rights of women are on the line here. 
And so some politicians are willing to do that. A lot of GOP representatives in in uh, in Congress and in state legislatures are not willing to do that. So it's going to take a lot of courage, a lot of clarity from the top. But it's also going to take us here, just average, normal constituents standing up and saying no Absolutely not. We're not going to tolerate that. And we're not going to participate in any institution or any competition that is allowing that. And let our money speak as well. Just an update. I have not been to Target since I did that video several months ago. And that is big for me because I used to go to Target multiple times a week. It was just like an activity for me. And I stopped when I did that episode about them selling chest binders for girls. And so um, we can't boycott everything. We have to do what we can, but we should let our money we should let our, our our money represent our values as much as we possibly can and our time, what we watch, our energy and all of that and certainly our activism. All right. That's all I've got for today. We've got a lot of good episodes planned for you this week. We've got an awesome interview that you're going to hear tomorrow. All right. I will see you guys back here then. 